Zechariah 14, the obvious context is the return of the Lord Jesus to uh, defeat the enemies of Israel. All nations are, are gathering in Jerusalem as the battle arm again. Uh, and then it says in verse 3 of Zechariah 14, Then the Lord, and it's all capital letters, so it's Yahweh, will go forth, or Jehovah will go forth to fight against those nations. Okay? And uh, then in verse 5, it talks about the people fleeing as they fled the earthquake. And the last half, or the last one-fourth of verse 5 says, Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with with him. Okay? Um, some translations say with you, but uh, whatever the case, though, it's talking about the second coming of Christ to rescue the nation of Israel at the battle of Armageddon, and it refers to Christ when he returns with his saints as the Lord my God. Okay? Again, all capital letters for the Lord, so it's Yahweh my Elohim. So he's called Jehovah, and he's called God. So Jehovah's Witnesses want to make a big, put place big emphasis on the word uh, Jehovah, which really be closer to true, to be closer to the, the, the true word to say Yahweh. If they want to make a big emphasis out of it, uh, then they should be consistent on that and admit that the Messiah, over and over again, it is said that the Messiah uh, is uh, uh, Jehovah or Yahweh. Okay, so the apostles called Jesus God, and then the Old Testament prophets called Jesus God. In fact, let me add one more, Jeremiah. I forgot this one. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. Verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. And that prophecy reads, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. So it's a branch uh, of David. So a descendant of David is going to come and he's going to reign as king. It says, in his day Judah will be saved and all Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Literally, in fact, my Bible even has a footnote that it's Yahweh, Yahweh Sidkenu. There's a T to start the second word, but it's silent. Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, or Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. So over and over again, Jesus is called Jehovah or Yahweh. You know, they basically different ways to pronounce the same word. We'll talk about the word Jehovah later on. Okay, God the Father uh, called Jesus God. In Hebrews 1.8, God the Father is talking about Jesus. And the distinction is drawn between Jesus and the angels. God the Father did not say this to any of the angels, but he said it to Jesus, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Okay? Uh, so God the Father is calling Jesus God. He says to Jesus, 
Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the author of Hebrews says, and, and he didn't say that to any of the angels. So he didn't say that to Michael the archangel, the Jehovah's Witnesses claim, but he said it to Jesus, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. He calls Jesus God. Now, um, Jehovah's Witnesses like to say, well, that really should be translated, um, God is thy throne forever. Now just think about that. You sit on a throne. So, I mean, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that God is your throne forever and ever. It makes no sense whatsoever. So, uh, God the Father called Jesus God. Uh, but then even Jesus called himself God. Now, these, some of these passages are a little difficult for us to look at, to, uh, to understand, but if we put it back in the context of his day, it becomes very clear that Jesus claimed to be God. In fact, if we were just, if we were to take, just take some of the titles that Jesus gave to himself, okay, and go to downtown Seattle, and walk up to people and say, uh, you know, I'm the living water. Whoever drinks of the water I give shall never thirst again. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Uh, I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's going to take about 20 seconds for people to figure out, just from the titles that Jesus used, if you attribute them to yourself, it's going to become amply clear you're claiming to be uniquely God. Not just claiming to be God, but claiming to be God in such a way that nobody else is God. Okay? Um, so just on the title of Christ alone, you can see that he, he called himself God. Uh, John 5, 17 and 18, uh, Jesus said that his, he referred to God as his Father in such a way that he was, had a unique father-son relationship with God the Father that the rest of the world did, did not share. Okay? That's why he claimed himself to be the only begotten son of God. Okay? He's not one of many sons of God. He's the only begotten son of God. Uh, so Jesus claimed to be uniquely the son of God. Well, verse 18, the Jews says that for that reason the Jews sought all the more to stoned him to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he, uh, being a man, was making himself out to be equal with God. So the Jews understood if a guy shows up on a scene and claims to be the unique, the one and only son of God, he's claiming to be equal with God. Now, that might not make a lot of sense in our terminology, but for the Jews, if you claim to be the Son of God, you were claiming to come directly from God. The Jews could refer to angels as sons of God because they, each angel was created directly by God. Angels don't have babies, okay? However, uh, Adam could be called in Luke the Son of God because they're going, they're saying, well, this guy was the son of this guy, was the son of this guy, was the son of this guy, and when they got to Adam, he came directly from God. But after Adam's off the scene, for a guy to just show up thousands of years later and claim to be the Son of God, he's claiming to come directly from God, uh, he's claiming to be equal with God. And uh, um, 
And then Jesus could have very easily said, no, you guys have misunderstood me. That's not what I claimed. Instead, in verses 22 and 23, he tells them, God has given all judgment to the Son so that everyone should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Well, how do you honor the Father? You worship Him. So how should we honor the Son? We should worship Him. Jesus is saying, the honor that you give to the Father, I am worthy of that same honor. So Jesus did not deny When they said, hey, you're claiming to be God, he didn't deny it. Okay? Now, John chapter 8, verses 23 and 24, uh, Jesus basically said, I'm from above, you're from below. He's talking to his enemies, the Jewish Pharisees. I'm from above, you're from below. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Well, he didn't really say the word he. He said, unless you believe I am. In fact, he said, ego emi, I, I am. So you translate that as I, myself, am. Um, it's incorrect Greek grammar to say I am, I am, which is what would be the equivalent of, of Yahweh. I am that I am. God identifying himself as the eternal one speaking to Moses burning bush. It'd be incorrect grammar to say, I am that I am. So, what you could say, I, I am, or I, myself, am, as the closest you can come to it. Now, Jesus probably did not speak Greek to the Pharisees. He probably spoke Aramaic, which was the Hebrew of his day. So, in other words, Jesus probably pronounced Yahweh, the word you weren't even supposed to say, according to the Jews, but not only did he pronounce it, but he attributed it to himself. So Jesus basically said, I am who I am. He basically said, I am Yahweh. Okay? And it was amply clear to them, you know. And, but just in case, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and question him some more. And so a little bit later in that same chapter, John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, he says, Before Abraham was born, I am. So he's again, he's claiming to be the eternal one. He's claiming to be God. So the Jews picked up stones and stones. But it wasn't his time to die, so he just walked through them like they weren't even there. But, but whatever the case, it was very quick. Now, if Jesus did not, you compare Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14, where God identifies himself as I am who I am. Okay? So Phil Brandes can say, I am because Joseph Brandes and Angelina Menagino got together, they got married, they had a baby boy, they named him Phil. There's enough air for me to breathe, there's enough water for me to drink, there's enough food for me. There's lots of reasons why I am. But when it comes to God, God says I am who I am. I just exist. I don't need a cause for my existence. I always did exist. I am pure existence. I am the eternal being and everything else comes from me. That's what God identified himself as from the burning bush. It became the proper name for God. But Jesus attributed that name to himself. Look at John chapter 10. I'm going to take a break. And in just a minute here, I just want to get through a couple more passages. John chapter 10, verses 30 to 33. Okay, uh, Jesus says, he, he kept on saying, look, nobody can snatch my sheep from my hand. Okay? 
And then he says, nobody can snatch my sheep from my father's hand. And then he says, I and my father are one. So I think what he's saying there is, I and my father are one in purpose or in nature or in power. Nobody's big enough to take my sheep from me. Nobody's big enough to take my sheep from my father. Well, to be one in power with the Father, to be equal in power with the Father, is, is to claim to be God. The Jews understood that. Verse 31, And the Jews took up stones again and stoned them. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those, of those works do you stone me? Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, made yourself God. Okay? So it's real clear Jesus was claiming to be God. Now that passage goes further on. I don't want to deal with it until we get to Mormonism because uh, the Mormons will use what was said later in that conversation to try to prove that Mormon males can become God someday, which is not the case. Okay? Uh, we'll get into that next week when we deal with uh, Mormonism. John 14, 9, Philip asks Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus says, you have seen me and seen the Father. But he's not saying I'm the, I'm the same person as the Father, but he's saying I am equal with the Father. Everything that, uh, that he is as God, I am as God. He is God, the first person of the Trinity. I'm God, the second person of the Trinity. So I am the perfect representation uh, of him. John 17, verse 5, Jesus is praying, okay? John 17, verse 5. Jesus says this, this is the night he was betrayed, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus is saying, before the world was, and the world there doesn't just mean the earth, it means the whole universe. Jesus is saying, before the universe even existed, return to me the glory that I shared with you. Okay? In eternity. That glory that we share. Well, when you look at Isaiah 42.8 and Isaiah 48.11, says that God doesn't share his glory with anybody. Okay? So, uh, it's really clear uh, that, that Jesus, before creation was created, he and the Father shared uh, the Father's glory. Um, then Revelation 1.8 book of Revelation. Revelation 1.8, God is speaking and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And uh, I, I think right there, immediately you see, you know, he says, who is to come. The book of Revelation is about the, the, the return of Jesus. So right there, we, we see Jesus calling himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and he calls himself the Almighty. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses try arguing, oh, that's God the Father speaking, that's not Jesus speaking. But look at verses 17 and 18. And when I saw him, I felt at his feet is dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. 
uh, Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Now he says, the first and the last there, who is identified as the Alpha and the Omega in verse 8, but the first and the last identifies himself as one who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. God the Father was never dead. God the Holy Spirit was never dead. Only God, the second person of the Trinity, became a man and died. He came, became a man for the purpose of tasting death for all mankind, dying as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. So again, it's very, very clear uh, that Jesus is claiming to be God. Look at Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. And Jesus is speaking and he says, and behold, and they will say, no, this isn't Jesus speaking. We just listen to it. And behold, I am coming quickly. Well, that's Jesus, the second coming Christ. Okay? God the Father is going to come to this planet. It's God the Son. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the last, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So here, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, beginning and the end, the first and last. Obviously, this is a reference to the Lord Jesus, and uh, and he refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega, uh, the first and the last. Uh, by the way, when you look at Isaiah 44, verse 6, Isaiah 44, verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. So only God can say this. I am the first and I am and the last. And Jesus says that about himself. And how do we know it's Jesus? Because he said, I was dead, now I'm alive forevermore. Uh, how do we know it's Jesus? He said, because behold, I come quickly and my reward is, is with me. So it's real clear, only uh, Yahweh, or Jehovah, is the first and the last, yet Jesus is the first and the last. I mean, the list could go on. Jesus called himself the Good Shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11. Well, in Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, David says. Uh, that's this Yahweh-Rohi, or uh, uh, Jehovah-Rohi. Uh, he's saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. Well, then how can Jesus say he's uh, our shepherd unless he's God? Um, Jesus acted as if he is God. He accepted worship. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 6, tells us very clearly that only God, we should only worship God, to worship anything but God is idolatry. Yet Jesus accepted worship as an infant from the wise men, Matthew 2, verse 11. He also accepted worship when he was an adult. Matthew 14, verse 20, verse 33. Matthew 28, verse 9, after he rose from the dead, he accepted worship from his disciples. John chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, he accepted worship from the man born blind uh, that he had healed. John 20, verses 26 to 29, Jesus accepted worship. Uh, uh, from doubting Thomas. 
Zechariah 14, verses 16 and 17, when Jesus reigns on earth after he returns, he's going to accept worship from people who come from all over the world to worship him once a year. Um, Revelation 5, verses 8 and 14, you've got God the Father sitting on a throne and the Lamb who was slain sitting on a throne. And you have all these people in heaven bowing before both thrones. That's worship. Uh, the, the Greek word for worship is proskuneo, means to bow before or to kiss towards or to prostrate oneself before. Jehovah's Witnesses won't salute a flag. Yet the scriptures teach that you can bow before uh, a king for political reasons and that's not idolatry. You can salute an officer. You can salute a flag. That's not idolatry. It's paying political respect. But in the religious context, if you bow before something, that's worship. And if that something is not God, it's idolatry. That's why we don't bow before statues of saints like, like Roman Catholics do. That's idolatry. It violates God's commandments. Um, uh, but Jesus allowed people to bow before him and to call him God. When, when Cornelius bowed before Peter, Peter picked him up and said, don't, don't worship me, I'm just a man. When John, in the book of Revelation, bowed before an angel, an angel picked him up and said, don't worship me. Uh, but when people bowed before Jesus and worshiped him, he accepted him. Okay? Um, so Jesus acted as, he, he, as if he is God. He accepted worship. He also forgave sins. Now, I can forgive. If Josh walks up and punched me in the nose, I can forgive him because he would have sinned against me. He would have done evil to me. But Jesus was forgiving sins from people he never met before. And in that sense, only God can forgive sin because all sin is ultimately directed at God or rebellion against God. And... Uh, and so Mark chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, even his enemies recognized that only God could forgive sins. Jesus is forgiving sins. He's claiming to be God. Uh, number uh, point C, he, Jesus acted as if he was God. He was arrested for blasphemy. John chapter 10, verse 33, blasphemy is defined as uh, a man making himself out to be God. Mark 14, verse 64, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, the high priest rules, we have found him guilty of blasphemy. What, need, what more do we need to hear? Now, if he was arrested for blasphemy, either if Jesus did not claim to be God, number one, he was the worst communicator who ever lived. Because every time he opened his mouth, people were picking up rocks, a stone. Okay? Um, but secondly, uh, if he didn't claim to be God, then why didn't he just clear this up when he was on trial before the Sanhedrin and said, no, no, see, hey, wait, wait, hold on a second here. You guys are pulling my statements totally out of their context. I never claimed to be God. That's all he had to do. They would have probably just taken him and just brought him up in front of uh, uh, the, the multitudes in Jerusalem and he just could have made a statement, I'm not God, I never claimed to be God, don't pin that on me. But he did the fact of the matter, he did claim to be God. Now, he wasn't blasting him because the fact of the matter is he is God. But this idea, I mean, if Jesus did not claim to be God, then what, what in the world brought him to the cross? He was crucified for blasphemy, for claiming to be God. Um, scriptures teach 
uh, that Jesus created the universe. And the scriptures teach that, you know, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Only God created the universe. Yet, scriptures teach in John chapter 1, verses 1-3, to that Jesus created the universe. Colossians 1-15-17, that Jesus created the whole universe, both visible and invisible. Uh, Isaiah 44, verse 24 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretched out the heavens all alone, who spread abroad the earth by myself. See, God is saying, I alone am created. Well, Jesus, even Jehovah's Witnesses uh, agree that Jesus created everything other than himself, but they need to realize that only God created all things. That's what the scriptures teach. So if Jesus created anything, he created everything. He is God. Um, also, Jesus is called the Lord. Kurios in the Greek is the Greek word, the Greek equivalent for the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah. He's called the Lord by Doubting Thomas in John 20, verse 28. Uh, but he's also called the Lord of all in Acts chapter 10, verse 36. Uh, we're also told in the scriptures in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11, that every knee will bow to Jesus, yet Isaiah 45, verses 22 and 23, and Isaiah 66, verse 23, teaches that every knee will bow to Yahweh. Okay? Uh, Psalm 62 tells us that God alone is Savior. God alone is Savior. It says it over and over again in Psalm 62. Yet, scriptures teach us that Jesus is Savior. So if God alone is Savior, and Jesus is Savior, then therefore Jesus is God. Jesus referred to himself as the living water. Uh, John chapter 4, verses 10 and 14. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. John 6, 35, he said that he who comes to him shall never hunger, he who believes in him shall never thirst. He referred to himself as the living water. But in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God referred to himself as the living water that has been rejected by the people. Um, so uh, you know, I think it's amply clear that uh, uh, the scriptures teach that Jesus is God, he is Yahweh, and the Jehovah's Witnesses just don't have a leg to stand on. Now, if you take about a take a break till 10 minutes of and uh, and then we'll go another 55 minutes after that and close out at 12.45 like we're supposed to. And hopefully we'll be able to get through a good portion of Joe's witnesses. Hopefully we'll be able to finish it. I, I didn't want to spend some extra time on defending the deity of Christ, uh, but we'll see how far we go. Okay, I don't think we're going to get all the way through the Jehovah's Witnesses today, but uh, even if we spend the first hour the next Saturday that we're together, uh, and then leave uh, an additional four hours for the, 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 the deal with the, the Mormons, then I think we'll be all right. The problem's going to be is that we've got 22 other calls coming in two weeks from the I'll just basically give you an overview of each one. Uh, we're still dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses' denial of Christ's deity. 
you know, they, they, they deny that Jesus is God, they teach he's a lesser God, he's mightily archangel, God's first creation, he created everything else. I think we show that the scriptures are real clear that Jesus is God incarnate. And they, you know, he's not mightily archangel. In Jude 9, Michael did, mightily archangel did not want to lock horns with Lucifer, but instead said, the Lord rebuke you. Um, Jesus in uh, Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, had no problem uh, taking Lucifer on, on himself. But uh, uh, Michael the Archangel just, you know, knew that he was out of his league and didn't want to lock horns with Lucifer. Um, some of the problems, the so-called problem text that Job's witnesses bring up that they used to argue their case, We'll just look at a few of them. One is, uh, I'm not going to take them in the exact order. I want to say John 1 1 for the last, so we spent the most time on that. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. Uh, I'm the page right now. Proverbs 8, 22. Uh, this is talking about wisdom. And uh, what, what do you have, uh, Rory? New American Standard? Read, read Proverbs uh, 8, verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way for his first goal. Okay. Um, yeah, basically, uh, wisdom is personified in this passage. And. Uh, Many preachers have equated Jesus with God's wisdom, and there's a sense that that can be done. But in this in, in this passage throughout, I mean, you're going to find uh, uh, wisdom often spoken about uh, in Proverbs one. Wisdom is spoken about as a female. So, so uh, if wisdom is personified as a lady, how can that? be Jesus in that particular passage, but uh, my response here is that we were just talking about wisdom, and, and but for that matter, even if the language seems to sound at times in some translations like God created wisdom, uh, there's two ways God can create. There's temporal creation where God can create something that can pre-exist the cause and bring uh, the effect and bring the effect about. But there's also a way that God can create things through all eternity. They just naturally flow from Him. And that's the way it is with wisdom. I mean, if wisdom had a beginning, had actually, you know, you have a poetic figurative language, if wisdom actually had a beginning, then there would be a time when God was not wise because there was no wisdom to have. So God is, it's like God is love. He doesn't have love, he is love. Well, God also is wisdom. So he had his wisdom for all eternity. So this is poetic language. So God really didn't create wisdom. Wisdom flows from him through all eternity. Uh, but whatever the case, wisdom is being personified because of uh, Hebrew poetry. So it doesn't mean that Jesus is being spoken of in this passage, okay? 
Uh, although there is a sense that Jesus is the wisdom of God, it's called the word, the logos, we get our word logic from it, and that type of thing. But whatever the case, Jesus is not specifically being spelled out here. That's not saying that, uh, that he was created uh, by the Father. Um, look at Revelation 3.14. Jehovah's Witnesses pull so many verses out of context that we could be here all day just dealing with their problem text, but I just limited it to a few of their key passages that they rely upon. Um, and Revelation 3.14 says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, beginning of the creation of God. Uh, and so they say, okay, uh, Jesus is speaking and he calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. Therefore, he must be the first thing that God created. And so he's not Almighty God, he's a lesser God. Uh, but that just doesn't follow. The word for beginning can, can be uh, the first thing that God created or uh, it can mean beginning can mean origin uh, uh, basically the origin of the creation is God in other words it can be just a way of saying that Jesus is the creator he is the origin or the source of all of God's creation because he is the creator okay it's obviously in that latter sense that would make it more consistent with other uh, passages throughout the scriptures. Uh, look at Colossians 1.15. Colossians 1.15. talking about Jesus and it says he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation okay so they say well he's the firstborn over all creation he must be the first first one born or the first one created uh, but there's a problem with that the firstborn in the scriptures can mean one of two things it can literally mean the first one born like the oldest son or it can mean the, the preeminent one, uh, the one with the authority, the one... See, the firstborn son in the scriptures uh, receives the rights of the firstborn, which means he gets a double blessing. He gets twice as much inheritance as his other brothers get, okay? The problem is, though, the right of the firstborn can be forfeited and given to somebody else. Somebody else can become the preeminent one. Somebody else can become the ruler over his other brothers, even if he's not the older brother. Um, Reuben, because he had sexual relations with his father's concubines, forfeited the right of the firstborn. Uh, Simeon and Levi, because of their violence to avenge the uh, rape of their sister Dinah, they slaughtered an entire village of men. Uh, they were passed over for the right of the firstborn. Now, 
Jacob was biased towards Joseph because he was the first son he had with his favorite wife. So he gave the double blessing to Joseph and his two sons were Ephraim and Manasseh. Although he blessed Ephraim as the firstborn, even though Manasseh was literally the first one born. So there you see another case of the right of the firstborn passing to the one who wasn't literally the first one born. Um, but uh, whatever the case, God did not pass. God passed over Reuben. Messiah didn't come from the tribe of Reuben. And he passed over Simeon and Levi for the rights of the firstborn. And, but God did not pass over Judah, the fourth son uh, born to Leah and Jacob, um, and because the Jewish Messiah came from him. Uh, so basically what I'm getting at is the right of the firstborn, the term firstborn doesn't have to mean literally the first one born, but it means the preeminent one, the ruler, the master, the one who receives the double inheritance and is going to rule over his brothers. And so what this passage is telling us, and the reason given is in verse 16, for by him, Colossians 1, 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So saying, Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God because he's God incarnate. And he is the firstborn over all creation. He is the preeminent one. He is the master over all creation. Uh, why? Uh, because by him all things were created. So it says the exact opposite thing what the Jehovah's Witnesses are trying to make it say. He's the firstborn because he has the right of the firstborn because he's the most important thing in all creation because this man always existed as God and is the creator and then joined his creation by also adding a human nature. And that makes him... Uh, by far the firstborn over all creation, but it says nothing about him being created. It doesn't imply it in the least. Look at John 14, verse 28. John 14, verse 28. Um, you know, I will not be going into depth on the deity of Christ when we deal with some of the other cults just because uh, uh, I'll do it a little bit with, with the, the Mormon cult but after that we'll just refer you back to this long uh, uh, discussion that we're having right now but uh, in John 14 28 uh, Jesus says I am going to the Father for my father is greater than I. Okay? Joel's going to say, well, the father is greater than the son. The son cannot be equal to the son cannot be God. Well, we already pointed out passages where Jesus thought that he is equal with the father. Okay? The law of non-contradiction says that two contradictory things cannot both be true. A cannot equal non-A in the same way at the same time. So the, the scriptures teach that Jesus is equal with God, but the Father is greater than he. Uh, 
the only way to reconcile those two, and both us and the Jehovah's Witnesses want to reconcile it, because we both teach that the Word of God is without error, is if that if when we say Jesus is equal to the Father, we mean it in one sense, and the Father is greater than Him. We're talking about another sense. Okay. Uh, basically, what it amounts to is Jesus is equal with the Father because just as the Father is, Jesus is fully God. But the Father is greater than Jesus in that Jesus voluntarily submitted himself to the Father by choosing to become a servant to fulfill the mission of redeeming mankind by dying on the cross for our sins. Uh, and so basically the Father is greater than the Son, not in, in, in person, not in deity, uh, but the Father is greater than the Son uh, in mission. The Son submits to the Father. There's a, uh, a functional uh, order of the Trinity where the Father always comes first, the Son second, and the Holy Spirit third. Uh, and the Son and the Holy Spirit submit to the Father for the work of creation, but is equal submitting to one The wife is the equal heir to salvation with the husband, yet the scriptures ask the wife, command the wife to submit to the husband. So one equal can submit to another. And uh, um, also the Father had no limitations. When Jesus became a man, he added a human nature with limitations. See, to basically learn out to the scriptures, Jesus is a complex being, complex person, because he is one person with a divine nature, but he also added a human nature. So he's fully God, he's fully man. Some passages focus on his deity. I and the Father are one. Other passages focus on his humanity and his mission here on earth. The Father is greater than I. Okay? Uh, when Jesus said he didn't know the hour of his, uh, the day or hour of his return, he's, what he basically saying is, in my human wisdom, I don't know when I'm going to return. Now, I can tap into my omniscience, my all knowledge, but I choose not to. I choose just to rely upon the Father to reveal to me what I have a need to know in my mission on earth. I won't tap into my divine powers and my divine knowledge. So some passages focus on the humanity of Christ, the human nature of Christ. Other passages focus on the divine nature of Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses focus on the human nature of Christ, and they just whitewash over the passages that deal with the divine nature of Christ. Okay? We need, if we're to be good theologians, good Bible students, we need to bring both together in such a way that we do damage to neither. Um, and, uh, you know, so like a truck that has two gas tanks, one could be full, the other could be empty. Uh, you could say the gas tank of that truck is empty, or the gas tank of that truck is full. It depends on which gas tank you're talking about. And it's the same here with, when Jesus is, by the way, the, it's called the hypostatic union. Jesus is one person who has two distinct natures, a divine nature and a human nature uh, forever. At the time he became a man, he had that human nature. There's no mingling or blending of those natures. So some passages Jesus is focusing on his human nature, other passages he is focusing on his divine nature, 
And uh, we need to deal with both. Jehovah's Witnesses overemphasize one at the expense of the other. Uh, John 1 1. Uh, does everybody understand the, the nominative case? The nominative case, anyway, let's put it out of the subject of a sentence in the Greek. If it's a masculine noun, ends with Omicron Sigma, Os, like the OS, like OS, okay? That will be the subject of the sentence, okay? It's in the masculine. Uh, if it's the object of the sentence, Okay, then it would end Omicron new, uh, basically like uh, like our O and, and uh, N on. Okay. Well, there's this predicate nominative rule. The predicate is like the word is, uh, where you're predicating some attribute to the subject, okay? Well, well, let me see what I remember. That last phrase where the, the word was God, uh, it's, I believe it's Ha, or it's, or actually it's, it's Dios, and Logos. Okay? So if we did a literal word for word translation, it would be God was the Word. Okay? Is this John 1 that you're talking about? Yeah. John, John 1 1. And this is the last phrase in it. We translated the word was God. Literally, if we translated word for word and kept the same order, which we should not do because that, that uh, destroys the meaning of the passage. It's Theos and Halagos, if I, can, if I remember correctly. I should have brought my Greek to the Testament. So God was the Word. Uh, it's the way you translate it one word for word, but the Greek order in English tells you what the object is and what the subject is. Okay? Not so. In the Greek, it's the word endings tell you the subject and the object. Okay? But when the predicate is involved, it brings in the predicate nominative rule.